Hey there, thank you so much for listening to the Kind Mind Podcast. This is Todd, and I'll make this intro brief today before we hop into this episode. As always, I'm very grateful to all of you supporting this work on Patreon. And remember, you can become a member with a pay-what-you-feel model starting at $5 a month, and that gives you access to everything, including the Kind Mind Studio page, which has 10 more wisdom stories that I recently added. Check those out if you haven't yet for helping your kids fall asleep at night or helping you relax after a long day or helping you prepare for the guided meditations, which are there also, and there are instructions for practicing eight weeks of mindfulness to self-direct your own neuroplasticity. There's also a growing recommended reading list. I've added some books recently there. Hope to add more soon. And then, of course, you can join the live events, the monthly Kind Mind gatherings. And we had one this week that was really beautiful. It was about the law of subtraction. So look for that to be coming out on the podcast in the future. And there are other ways you can support this work. You can share it with a friend. You can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. In whatever way you're supporting this work, my heartfelt thanks goes out to you. One more thing to add, there will be an in-person event in Illinois if you're in the area. I will be revisiting the episode Democracy of Trees, what forests can teach us about community health. And the Forest Preserve District of Will County in Illinois will be presenting this event at the Isle a la Cache Museum, located at 501 East Romeo Road in Romeoville, Illinois. It will be outside in the picnic shelter area. There's limited seating, so arrive early or bring your own chair. It'll be at 7 o'clock on May 26th, the Thursday next month. The event is free. Again, you can find this information on my website, michaeltodfink.com. And as always, I invite you to connect with me on social media at michaeltodfink, that's Instagram and Facebook, or you can send me mail directly to michaeltodfink at gmail.com. Today's episode is called Build Like a Prophet. I just decided on that title reflecting on a quote from Frank Lloyd Wright. He said, The architect must be a prophet, a prophet in the true sense of the term. If he can't see at least 10 years ahead, don't call him an architect. Well, architect means a person skilled in the art of building or constructing. And, and in a sense, that's all of us. We're all creative. We're all the architects of our life. This also means to clarify your vision and to take time to incubate your ideas and inspiration like an egg, sitting on the egg until it hatches spontaneously or naturally. This talk was recorded the beginning of this year pretty recently. So you may hear some references to the new year or the transitions because we're still in a different phase of the pandemic. So some, some may seem to be a little bit outdated, but the core message I hope resonates with you. In this talk, I explore how to build anything or everything with integrity. Not just structural integrity, but 
psychological integrity. Another quote that resonates with me is from Brian Chesky, who said, Build something a hundred people love, not something one million people kind of like. That's the environment that we're in now, that where we feel the pressure to just make something for the most people. And we're more concerned about that outcome rather than the quality of the craft. In the book, The War of Art, author Stephen Pressfield makes a distinction between hierarchy versus territory. The territory is the artist space. This is the here and now and my talents and the skills that I can cultivate and the quality I can bring to whatever I want to build. And that's where my focus should be. That should be my, my sphere, so to speak, of influence. Now, if I approach what I'm building with too much concern about the hierarchy, which is the broader impact it may have, and I try to build it according to that field, well, that's really outside of my domain. One loses the spirit of inspiration and authenticity when you're trying to build for that sake. So build within your territory. I really like that description. Carl Sagan once said, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. And what's beautiful about this statement is the emphasis of humility. We say, I did this, I made this, I I built this, but how many other participants must there be to be able to get to the state where you can make that kind of claim? So much has to happen in nature. And it's true, if we were really to break down the matter involved with building anything, you would get to the fundamental aspect of existence and the origin of the universe. So it can remind us that we're a link in the chain. We're part of a long line of architects, of builders, and we may lay a brick. So... That's what this episode focuses on. It's a little different than a lot of the other topics, which tend to work towards revelation and deconstructing or dismantling or stripping away layers of illusion. But we are creative beings, and it's impossible to remain without action. So, this is about purifying our aspirations while simultaneously working on the deconstruction of illusion. Hope you enjoy the rest of this episode, and as always, I look forward to connecting soon. Take care. So I really um, have had some really nice opportunities to see people in my family really build. We're going to explore this theme tonight, and I also want to thank Kim. You had suggested this idea in the past that you know things that are in transition and 
the way the world is changing. You know, people are thinking about how they're building their life and what they want to build differently. This word build, it has some roots in Old English, building. It specifically meant to construct a house, but as English evolved in the United States, it meant to create or to make anything. So now we use this word build for anything at all that we participate in in the creative process. We build relationships, we build our dreams, we build a business, we build a life with another person. So we'll come back later to the etymology of this word build, but Kim made a good point before about the way the world is shifting and our lives are shifting. When I think about how I wanted to build this community and uh, the podcast and the gatherings, it was looking very different a few years ago. And some of you may remember when we were at the hospital, we would gather sometimes with hundreds of people and then we relocated to the Hyatt Hotel. And then last year, we transitioned to some virtual meetings, basically because things kept changing. And so when humans build, they often have to rebuild because circumstances change or because you get new information. So I, I said in the description that we are motivated to build in our lives sometimes because of a breakthrough, like I know how to do something better or a breakdown. And I think in this case, so many creative people like myself have had to change their plans or they had to amend their strategy or redo or pivot altogether and shift to something else. And today I was doing an activity with some patients at the hospital with images of labyrinths. And I realized something more about the labyrinth as a meditation on life. I just asked them to slowly trace their finger from an entrance point to the center and back. And I would tell them when to stop for some unspecified amount of time. And then we talked about it. And people had all different experiences. Some felt worried that they weren't going to make it to the center in time because they didn't know when I was going to say time's up. Other people felt like there were so many walls that they were hitting that perhaps this labyrinth that they had had no way to the center. And yet another person said, you know, it was quite peaceful. I just followed your instructions and my mind didn't go anywhere else. I didn't worry about when it was going to end. I just stayed present with my finger and the path. And yes, when I came to a dead end, I accepted that immediately and continued in the opposite direction. When I heard that person's explanation, I was like, wow, what a metaphor for life. The whole idea of a labyrinth is at like a place of sanctuary. They may have it designed with rocks, like at Sally's farm, she's made a nice labyrinth. In other places build it sometimes with trees or with hedges or landscaping. But usually the intention is for people to peacefully walk and have a, a walking meditation. And yet when we were doing this labyrinth, you know, some people were stressed and triggered, but it was because of ideas beyond the labyrinth. How is this supposed to go? And how long is this gonna last? I've also noticed when I do this activity and I tell people we're gonna do this for five minutes, they may really struggle to focus. They may think, how am I gonna possibly just sit here with this labyrinth for that long? 
But this last patient that I was describing, you know, had a really good attitude for life. Life is basically like the labyrinth. You can only go the way that you're going until that way doesn't work. And what happens to most of us, we get really stuck there. We feel as though it's unfair that we've hit a wall. We feel like there may not be enough time to get to the center, to get to our destination. Or we feel rushed. But, you know, it comes back to that idea that it's the journey. And you're building something in the labyrinth. You're building towards something. But there is a certain attitude that if you adopt that, the journey will be filled with much more contentment and inner peace. So I thought I'd share that with you. And when we think about where society is going and overall and what we're building, you may have heard Mark Zuckerberg talking about the metaverse and changing Facebook's business name to Meta, representing the metaverse, which includes everything they're building, but also their larger goal to build towards this virtual world that who knows what can happen in, but you can build a life within the metaverse. And I was listening to a podcast called The Emerald. I would recommend it. I mean, I haven't listened to much of it so far, but what I have has been really insightful. It's basically looking at current events through a mythic lens. The author sort of narrates the evolution of computers and gaming towards the metaverse. And when you think about mythology, there's elements of this all along the way. When Super Mario Brothers becomes very famous with Nintendo and you really think about what Mario has to do. He goes on this quest and he eats some mushrooms and he takes the help of plants and he has uh, some powers sometimes, like he can throw fireballs. And then Super Mario 3, he can fly, he can shapeshift into a raccoon and there's a princess. So, so there's all these mythological elements. And when you're playing that game or any game really, your body is just sitting on the couch or in the chair and your spirit or your mind transports into this other world. And even that has a connection to culture and spiritual history. When you think of the stories of rites of passage, especially in indigenous cultures, people would use plant medicine and there would be a good reason why people would go into these altered states. It was usually, like I said, because someone was transitioning to adulthood or to elderhood or about to enter into battle or take up an occupation. And the vision quest or the transcendental experience could give that aspirant some wisdom to guide them in their life. And it was a trance that they would go into. And when you think about the metaverse or, or any of the virtual experiences that we have, it's also a low-grade trance. And the why we do it is not always so clear. I think when it is clear, the virtual tools, the digital tools, have the ability to connect us, to advance us, to evolve us in positive ways. But when we go into these virtual spaces and we don't know the why, like our predecessors did when they would go into a trance, they would also go for healing. And sometimes we enter into these trances and they're encouraging us or coaxing us or prompting us towards more and more time dedicated to being in these virtual spaces. but. Why? What are we building towards? If we don't know, then I think 
people's mental health will continue to be at risk. Because if we go into these spaces and we come out and we have no clearer vision, we have no healing that's taking place. We haven't built up ourselves or feel stronger. If we, if we come out weaker and insecure, you know, we've broken from that original purpose of how an experience in the metaverse could benefit us. Because there is a metaverse in the sense that there is experience beyond our ordinary five senses. And through contemplation, through meditation, through the paths of wisdom traditions, and also through these plant medicine experiences that other indigenous cultures have explored, it takes you to another dimension. And that's still important, I think. So thinking together about what we're building as a collective during this time of transition. And you can also be thinking as we enter this new year, what is different now with your life? What do you need to do differently? What, how do you need to rebuild, redo, or add on to what you are already building? And I'd like to share this story. It's a common parable called the three bricklayers. And you often hear it in business, but it has a connection to actual historical events as well. In 1666, there was a fire that flattened London. And there was a, a famous architect, Christopher Wren, who was commissioned by the church to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral, I believe it was called. And five years later in 1671, he, the story goes that he's coming to inspect the work and he passes by three people laying bricks for the cathedral. And he asks the first man, what are you doing? And the man replies, I'm laying bricks. And then they go on to talk about how, you know, he needs to lay bricks to make money to feed his family and so on. And then he comes to the second man and asks, what are you doing? And the second man responds that he's putting up a wall. He's making a wall. So he's doing the same work as the other person, but he describes it a little bit differently. And then he comes to the third man and asks, what are you doing? And this third man laying bricks says, I'm building a beautiful cathedral. And so the, the story has three morals essentially that are extrapolated from this little historical anecdote. For businesses, for organizations, I think in religious circles as well, but one is the attitude. So they're all doing the same work, but you could imagine that the experience of each person laying bricks is, is different based on the way they're approaching the work. There's other versions of this story that have the first man being on the ground at like just laying the first layer of bricks and the second man is bent over and the third man is like standing tall because he's made more progress in that version of the story. I, I don't think that that's necessary to draw the wisdom out of it, but I can see that there's something to that version as well, that you know, maybe we can go farther if we have the right attitude. But the way I see it is in the version where everybody's doing the same, but the inner experience is different because that's what wisdom is really all about as I've encountered it and been taught by the wise in different parts of the world, that their work, their life doesn't look too differently externally, it's, but their inner experience is different. And that's where I think we get those Zen axioms of chopping wood, carrying water, 
before and after awakening or enlightenment or satori in Zen, meaning that nothing from the outside perspective is going to look different, but the inner attitude is different. And then the second lesson is quality. When a person is laying bricks in that work of those three men and thinks I'm building a beautiful cathedral, it's going to affect the enthusiasm and the attention to detail and the care with which he lays the brick. This is similar to the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Very ordinary things happening, but the presence and the attention to detail and the quality of the work and the maintenance of the, of the bicycle on the man and the son's road trip is a very practical kind of spirituality. Reminds me of a Martin Luther King quote or expression in a speech about whatever you're called to do, do it well. So he was saying something about like a street sweeper. If the street sweeper is sweeping with the same intention as like Michelangelo, well then there's greatness happening there. Whatever we're called to do, if we can do it with the right attitude, we'll be living a good life basically. That's what the good life is. And when you think about life being short and in the examples of the labyrinth that I gave and a person feeling like, well, what if I don't get to the center? What if there's not enough time? And if there's not enough time, should I even begin? None of that matters when you're holding the vision. For the person building a cathedral, whether he lays any more bricks or not, his life was about building a cathedral. In the right state of mind, that philosophy of life gives us some freedom from time and can help us get over the worry of how much time we have, because we don't know. The third piece of, uh, of wisdom is basically to have a mission, to have some sense of purpose and direction with your life. I've said before that mindfulness isn't just about being in the present moment. If it were only that, then you could justify doing a lot of harmful things to yourself and others because if the future isn't as important in the present moment, then whatever makes me feel good in the here and now would be justifiable. So I've given examples like working on a million piece puzzle. The attitude with the mission is present forward. The eyes are in the front, we're looking ahead. And yet you can only bring two pieces together in the puzzle. Similarly in the labyrinth, you can only walk the path you're walking. You can't jump to the center. But with the present forward attitude of mindfulness, then our life is building towards something, spiritually, psychologically, and so on. So like with this cathedral, when we're talking about building, to build usually means to build up, right? Building buildings, buildings go up. And I think that is a symbol of achievement, success, striving, both in materialist ways, but also in, in spiritual ways. And in meditation, one, builds up their consciousness, so to speak, not literally, but figuratively, from the bottom, which is feeling like I'm just this body, feeling like I'm just made of this matter, these atoms, but building the consciousness from there to a sense of stewardship over the body and ultimately a identity with what's beyond the body, consciousness, spirit, and merging that into unity with life. But when we build, there's a couple biases that researchers, psychologists, scientists have identified. 
that lead us to our own downfall or to whatever we're building collapsing. And, and it starts with attachment to what we're building. So that sense of possessiveness, and that's one manifestation of ego, as we've talked about before, the sense that this is mine, me, my, mine. And one of these heuristics that comes to mind is called the Ikea effect. More recently, a psychologist named Norton at the Harvard Business School did some experiments with Ikea furniture. A group of test subjects were asked to assemble some pieces of furniture and then to appraise the, the value of the product. And they compared that with a control group who were asked to estimate the value of pre-made furniture. And the test subjects who assembled their own pieces estimated the value to be 63% higher than the pre-made furniture, but they're essentially the same in the end. So it's a bias. Now, I think this stems from evolution and the pride that we feel when we build something ourselves. But the problem is it extends to every little thing and our ego can contaminate anything we're involved in and can overestimate our importance. Meaning like, if you're building something at your home, you're building onto your home, there's a certain value in that to you. You're building a business. There's a certain value that goes beyond what other people would pay because it gives meaning to your life. When you construct something, like I made a simple table, I don't think it would be worth much to anybody else. I made a table years ago out of recycled pallets. But when I look at that table, I see some history. So it's not just a table, it's also a scrapbook of my life. It's the same with music. I know what people are willing to pay for music these days, but if I were to give up all rights to it, it would cost more for me because it's more than music to me. But sometimes we don't realize that with the other things that we're making and we aren't able to let go. So something as simple as assembling a piece of Ikea furniture, that same sense of self that I was describing in, in the other examples affects that. And, and then people struggle to be able to be free to be able to let go and also to be able to have a good death because in the end, that same kind of attachment holds a person back from a peaceful transition at the end of life. There's also a, a Greek myth about Pygmalion. I'm not sure if I said his name right, but he's a sculptor and he has vowed to be celibate because he's also misogynistic. The legend includes him encountering some prostitutes and developing a negative attitude towards women. And he sculpts a woman out of ivory and falls in love with her. There's a, a lesson in that Greek mythology about being in love, being obsessed to the point of obsession with whatever it is we're building. And so what I'm talking about is, is finding a balance. Speaking of building up, there's another myth in southern part of Africa, I think in the Zaire region, there was a tribe called the Luba people. And they have a, it's mostly a creation myth, I suppose, about a high God and humans living together in the beginning. 
When I read this story, I thought, you know, that's kind of similar to the creation myth in Christianity, the Garden of Eden. So everything's good in this sky world where the high God and the humans can live together peacefully. But over time, the people start to quarrel and become noisy and God sends them down to the earth. And for the first time, they experience hunger and cold and sickness and death. Now, how wild is that, right? Because that is similar to being banished from Eden. They made some mistake in the Christian mythology and God punished them for it. And in this indigenous story in Africa, the high God punished these people for their flaws, their disharmony. And there's a soothsayer now down on the earth because the people are all disheartened and despairing as they suffer for the first time. And a soothsayer says that you have to build back to the high God. You have to build back to the sky and regain your immortality. But did the soothsayer mean you have to literally build up to the sky or did he mean you have to build up your character? Well, the people took it very literally and they began constructing, in this story, they began constructing a tower. It's not too unlike, you know, other towers in other cultures, the Towers of Babylon. And once they materially built the tower into the clouds, they started to beat their drums and make their noise again and beat their chest with pride. We did it. We did it. We made this ladder to heaven. And when they all climbed up and got to the top, then God destroyed the tower and they all fell back down. And the moral of that story is over ambitiousness, the setup for a big fall when we're too attached to our work, when we can't let go. And in spiritual texts like the Tao Te Ching, it prescribes to do your work, then step back. The doing of the work, the process is the joy, is the Zen. The building is the Zen and the fruits are not yours. I mean, that's probably contrary to the way we feel conditioned in Western society. But if you want to find inner peace, then that makes sense to find your Zen in the process. It's in the building, in the making. And then, yeah, then people get to come and see your work and appreciate your work or not, but then not to cling to it. So I like that creation myth. And then there's other creation myths that give us insight into the process of building, building a universe in this case. And I noticed that so many of them have the cosmic egg motif. Ancient Egypt, even there's a Chinese Taoist creation myth about an egg from a river, the golden egg in Egypt. There are some descriptions of a cosmic egg in Hinduism. And I was thinking about the symbol of the egg when it comes to building for us and whatever it is we're trying to build in life and the things that I've tried to build in my life. And I got a new thought with it. A new piece of inspiration came with this egg symbol. When we have an egg, it's like an idea because in some religions, the universe was spawned from an idea. In Hinduism, one of the Upanishads says that God thought. And in Christianity too, in Genesis, God thought. So the egg is like this symbol of potential, potential for life. 
But when we have this inspiration or this idea that's channeling through us, you can rush with that idea and crack that egg. But if you go and crack the egg artificially, all you can do then is you know, make an omelet or you make a meal or bake a cake or something. That's nice, right? But if you incubate it, you sit on the egg, so to speak, like the hen, and let it mature, then it gives birth to life that can bring forth more eggs and more chickens and more eggs. And you can grow an eternal farm, so to speak. That is the predicament that we often find ourselves in when we feel inspired, or if any of you are creative people. What is the incubation period for idea? And in my experience, like with the podcast, for instance, January 2022 is the beginning of the fifth year of the podcast. I'm in the 60s of episodes and I have a vision for where I want it to go moving forward with more dialogues coming and new segments and so on. I had read that the majority of podcasts do not continue past a few episodes. Why is that? Because of the egg analogy. The idea was there, but they hatched it too quickly. If you incubate your ideas, then you will be ready for it to naturally break open. And this is the balance for the artist or anybody building anything, really. Because from the outside perspective, nothing is happening with the egg. For however long the mother sits on the egg, the egg doesn't change. And I also remember when I was incubating the podcast idea, I didn't have a name. I had some ideas about what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted to do, and the gatherings that we would have eventually to record them. That went on for years before launching into the podcast and discussions with people that I was close with. Others just thought, it's never going to happen. You, know, you only talk about it. And I face that now with, with other projects. I mean, I've been through this cycle over and over. I'm there with the book. I'm incubating the book that I've told you about. And I give that encouragement to other people that this incubation period is so critical to a successful build. It's like the prep work and the land preparation before you construct a house. That actually comes before the foundation. People think foundation is first, but really the land prep and research is first, right? Is it going to flood there? You know, is that in a floodplain? Is it sand? Is it a good place to construct? The research and land prep actually comes first. And that's what I just started realizing with the egg and why it's such a good metaphor, whether you find it in one of these cosmology stories or whether we just think about it in a, in a much more practical sense with a chicken lays an egg. There's an alternative creation myth from, um, I want to say that this tribe is called the Yequana tribe from Northeast South America. So like Venezuela region. And it simply starts, and this is why I love this, it simply starts as a woman and a man dreamed that God was dreaming them. It's so beautiful, just that first sentence. When you reflect on life and experience, sometimes it's not clear what is real. You think of your own dreams, your own emotions. Did the emotion come from what I experienced in waking life or is that residue from a dream? Did I dream of God or did God dream me? 
is God in my dream? Or do I not really have any stable existence in the mind of the universe? Am I just a flash of an idea? Like, what am I? And so I think like this little story captures that like really beautifully. The woman and the man dreamed that a great shining egg appeared in God's dream. Inside the egg, they sang and danced and made a racket because they were crazy with the desire to be born. They dreamed that in God's dream, joy was stronger than doubt and mystery. And God, dreaming, created them. And singing said, I break this egg, and the woman is born, and the man is born, and together they will live and die, but they will be born again. They will be born and will die again, and once more will be born, and they shall never cease to be born, because death is a lie. <laughs> so much contradiction, so much paradox. And also amazing that maybe it hints at reincarnation also, but it also hints of no self, which I've talked about before in Buddhism. There's the strong belief in reincarnation. And yet one of the primary teachings of the Buddha was that you don't have any fundamental existence, anatta, no self. So if you have no self, how can there be reincarnation? It's a paradox. The non-self reincarnates in that philosophy. So the egg, being this common cosmology or cosmic mythology motif is a beautiful symbol of leading to the metaphor of a building itself, of what we're building with life. If you think about a building, you have the foundation, you have the structure, you have the roof. This is a good metaphor for our existence. The foundation can represent what's solid for you what you can build upon. So like, what are some core principles or values? Or maybe it's family and community. That doesn't mean the foundation doesn't ever change. They did some study some years ago and found that all these concrete structures are now reacting to oxygen and water and cracking and are not suitable for so many houses to not fall into disarray. And so they need to do total overhauls of these foundations of so many houses. So that's not to say that it doesn't need to be repaired at some point. That means you learn something or you grow or you evolve in some way and maybe you need to put some steel beams down there or maybe you need to reconstruct the house altogether. But then you have the structure, the walls, the beams and so on. This represents our habits, our routine, the way we're going to lay bricks day to day, how we're going to live our life. And then on the top, you have the roof, but the roof comes last. So the roof can represent the results, the results of what you're building. And if you have a, a solid foundation and a good structure, then the results will be that you have some protection. You have some ability to weather the storms of life. And that's what the roof does. It protects from rain and snow and temperatures. But you'll never get there without the first two levels. So we can reflect on our life. If we're building ourselves, then we can measure the progress of that build by our emotional maturity. What's different about how we endure 
the challenges of life. It's probably the best way to measure spiritual progress also. Is my inner peace, is my equanimity growing? The things that previously set me off, do they continue to affect me in the same way? Probably the simplest way to measure personal growth or psychological growth. And if you are committed to this building, then you know what? Self-acceptance, self-knowledge, self-healing, that all becomes possible. Because if I'm committed to my personal growth, my past mistakes, my old habits don't weigh me down. I'm no longer tethered to them because I know I'm building past that. So when we're not committed to personal growth, you know, we can really feel identified with a mistake. You can really feel overwhelmed when you hit that wall in the labyrinth. So, I mean, if this resonates, be committed to personal growth, then you know what? Whatever shortcomings I have today, I will grow past them. I will build beyond them. So let's look at this word build and the etymology a little bit closer again before we open things up. Self-love also. When you're committed to personal growth, the roof is self-love. Because like I said, the lifelong pursuit of wisdom untethers you from mistakes and makes you undeterred by your present shortcomings. But this word build, in Old English, it's bold, B-O-L-D. And we know of bold to mean courageous and brave, but also willing to take a risk. That has, I think, a meaningful connection to our concept of build because you have to take some risks in life, but why? Because life is not going to be more than a hundred years for most of us. So what is the real risk? I mean, the real risk then is not using the time wisely. When the game, the rules of the game are such that you go at any time and you don't know how much time, but you know it's limited, what is the real risk? Win, lose, and all that, it loses its meaning in the scope of the whole deal. In Middle English, the etymology is bilden, B-I-L-D-E-N, and that specifically referred to constructing a house. But what does a house mean? What does a home mean? It's where you put roots down. But the wisdom in this understanding of build is that there just needs to be a commitment to building something. You can't have anything lasting without some commitment to keep coming to this place. And it doesn't have to be a physical place. It can be an emotional place. It can be a spiritual place. It can be a social place. The relationship becomes a home when the two people are committed to building their lives together. There upon you refine. You refine, you adapt, you amend, you redo, you retool. Ultimately, your life and your purpose, but also your relationships. In Proto-Indo-European, the prefix or the root, I mean, is bu, B-H-U, which meant to dwell or to exist. Another almost inverse way of thinking of building from a spiritual point of view would be that we're doing some demolition work, meaning we've built up a lot of artificial constructs around wisdom or around love, sort of as, as Rumi said, our task is not to go out and find and seek and acquire love, but to remove the barriers within from it. And so I like that there's also this root of existence 
building meant existence? Well, because we come with so much baggage, and if we were born and dying and born and dying, as different spiritual cultures believe, well then, you know, we, we inherit so much, you know, we, we inherit so much in ourselves, in our DNA, so much trauma that defines us for some time or redefines us and ultimately is not the truth maybe about who we are, about existence itself or the unity in existence, the meaning and experience and the unity in existence. But then Bu also is a root in Sanskrit. Bhumi is the earth. So the foundation is the earth. The earth is our home. The earth is our host, so to speak, like plants. We only superficially move around. And even when we, you know, we leave the planet, we have to can ourselves with earth, making sure all the elements of there are earth. So we're like a potted plant, superficially or artificially moving around. But ultimately the earth is, is our home. The earth is the foundation of whatever we're going to build. And what do we end up building with from a materials perspective? We only build with earth. Finally, build also refers to your physical structure. What is the build of this person? Is the build of this person suitable for the manual labor of this job? And that's kind of meaningful too, because we actually build our body to a great extent. I mean, there's some limitations to this. I can't necessarily grow to any height that I want. But if every seven years I have a totally different molecular structure, just because of the physics of particles coming and going, then I do have a lot of influence over the way this body evolves. So basically fueling your body in a more and more meaningful, mindful way. And that leads to the build of this vehicle that you occupy. It's like the car that you want to maintain. And if you maintain it well, you can use it well, it will serve you well. But no matter what, there'll come a time where its life has been fulfilled, its uh, mission is complete. And no matter how well you try to maintain it, the elements, the forces of nature will win out and it will be time to get out of the car. So the last thing I want to say before we have a little, little more sharing is that when you love, you automatically or spontaneously want to do whatever you can to help the beloved to build to build themselves and you you want to help in any way you can and this this applies to relationships this is not just like parents and children but the loving parent ideally wants to do whatever he or she can to grow the child but when you love your partner you want them to grow if you don't want them to grow then what is it i mean what is the love if it doesn't include that effort to help them grow, then it's basically self-interest. What can I get out of this person? How can I feel good by being associated with this person or this thing or this pet or this plant? But when there's love, then every reasonable effort is made to contribute to the growth. And when you think about like a plant, when the plant doesn't grow, we don't really blame the plant. We can see beyond the plant. We can see the thread of life. Well, I forgot to water the plant or the plant isn't getting enough sunlight at this window. 
or the flowers trying to grow through a sidewalk, it doesn't have access to the nutrients it needs. In this way, we can have the psychological understanding of why it's not necessary to blame. To blame a link in the chain, when you can see the whole chain, it grows compassion within us and we can help to build ourselves, build our families, build our communities, build this world, build our spiritual lives with wisdom and compassion if we have that kind of understanding. <laughs>